What is happening, Charleston basketball fans? Hope everyone is doing well. How could you not be? Cougars keep rolling. It was a solid week for CFC basketball, a 15-point win over Old Dominion, followed by a 22-point rivalry victory over the Citadel. Definitely feels like Charleston is in a soft spot of their schedule right now. Things are very manageable now after a tough few games in a short period of time. So for right now, it's just a matter of taking care of business, staying healthy, getting things right off the court academically with exams coming up and whatnot. But as we'll discuss in today's episode, I think both of these games the past week were cause for concern for CFC, and I think for different reasons. So we're going to talk about that with our guest, Ryan Teichler. You may know him as Coogie Monster on Twitter. He joins for the first time this season to talk hoops. On the agenda today, Ante Berzovich, Mr. Double-Double after his performance against the Bulldogs. We're going to talk about the atmosphere at McAllister Fieldhouse. Our city definitely showed out. Where do things stand with the true freshmen on this team? And a whole lot more. So sit back, relax. A brand new Holy City Hoops episode coming at you. Alrighty, Cougar fans, Ryan Teichler is making his season debut on the podcast. Welcome back to the show, Ryan. How are we doing today? Doing pretty well, Tommy. Thanks for having me back. We were just talking offline. It's tough to uh, to come up with topics for today's podcast because the Cougars had a 2-0 week and an average margin of victory of 18-plus points per game. So all is well in Cougarland, but we'll try to nitpick where we can or just try to enjoy uh, the mid-major success because it can be fleeting. I will let you start. You're the guest. Do you want to start with ODU or do you want to start with Citadel? Um, let's start with ODU. Let's go in uh, chronological order here. We'll go chronological. Okay. My my thoughts here, this was kind of an anxiety sandwich of a game. That's a, a term I'm coining. Easy going in the first portion of the game, then really anxiety inducing for the middle stretch, like late first half and then total cruise control the rest of the way there was no in between so charleston jumps out to this 12 nothing lead uh two three-pointers from rain smith three free throws and a three from bolin like totally blow the doors off to start the game from that point on odu goes on a 27 to 15 run totally erases the lead before halftime they didn't even hit a three during that stretch they just like got to the rim on every possession and then Charleston comes out of the second half on a 12-2 run, blows the doors open again, never looks back, builds that lead up to 15 or 20. I don't know what the second half adjustments were, what Pat Kelsey said in the in the locker room, but Charleston just very business-like uh, taking care of ODU down the stretch. I don't know. What did you think of the game? Uh, speaking of picking nits, where we can pick nits is that 12 to 14 minute stretch in the first half where, like you were saying, we got off to that quick 12 nothing start and then i think with like four minutes left the game is tied at 25. so we went 12 minutes 13 minutes of scoring you know 13 points and it was ugly um but i don't know if you noticed this i rewatched the game yesterday uh because it seems like the game happened so long ago it's kind of around the holidays i wasn't really paying too close of attention but when they needed a basket at the end of the first half do you remember what what pk called was it Pat Robinson? Pat, an ISO to Pat Robinson the third. Which he'll get you that. He, he'll get you that he, bucket. <laughs> he scored. He scored it. And, and frankly, you know, the first couple games watching him, I didn't see it, Tommy. Um, you know, he's kind of small. He's left hand dominant. He has this funky shooting motion, but he can get to the rim. And 
he can finish. It, uh, it, it's kind of wild to be able. I think he's generously listed at about six one, but he's tough as nails, and he's able to go in against the trees and and get the bucket to fall. If he gets to his left hand, it's over. Like if he's on his left dominant side and he gets that shot off, it's go- it's like Tim Duncan off the backboard, you know, jumper. It's just automatic every single time. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's he's a bulldog. He just gets in there. I don't know if it's the low center of gravity or just the insane muscle mass, but yeah, we saw it against Virginia Tech for the game. We've seen that all year. And I don't know when teams are going to adjust and try to make him go to his right, but he gets to his spot every single time, and it's about as close to a guaranteed bucket as you can draw up. So credit to Kelsey. <laughs> and then in the second half, you know, we started whatever Kelsey said um he pushed the right buttons at halftime but we came out with a great run and it was just great balance during that it was you know baba made a nice play ray made a nice play you know larson i thought larson had a great game if we want to keep talking about that auntie made um some nice plays in that stretch but when you see the cougars playing that kind of cohesive sharing the basketball anyone can score anyone can yeah. You know, over a five-minute stretch can give you nine, ten points. Um, that's a pretty scary group. Um, and they showed that for the first, what, eight, nine minutes of the second half, and then it was cruise control from there. Yeah, when they – I know exactly what you're talking about, that, like, basketball euphoria, because they, they're really starting to build chemistry, uh, this nine-man unit. And we saw it against the Citadel, too, when they're just sharing the ball, whipping it around – finding someone for a good shot it really is like beautiful basketball to watch as cheesy as that sounds but it's so effective and I think that's just a a tribute to how PK has these guys you know playing to their roles and being unselfish and it's it's true like Larson Smith and Bolin led the way in this game Larson had 17 he had seven assists too which is nice uh Rain Smith double figure scoring 14 and Bolin with 12 I mean, that's just your backcourt, but everybody everybody chipped in. I said it last week, everybody eats on the team. Everybody eats. And ODU is a, a pretty big and physical team. They were a pretty good rebounding team. I don't think Charleston had the offensive rebounding they've had earlier in the year. But ODU just couldn't shoot a lick. Like They couldn't no. make a three. They, couldn't, they were missing free throws. And I think, I guess the adjustment, I think Ryan Larson maybe alluded to this in the postgame, was like, yeah, once we realized, like, as long as we don't get screened and have a guy like a six-five guard going to the rim, that kind of shut everything off. And ODU kind of fell apart down the stretch. Like they, once they got punched in the mouth coming out of the second half, it seemed like they, they wilted a little bit and you know just kind of let Charleston run away with it. Totally. And uh, pivoting back to Larson, the mayor. Uh, I love Everett's uh, new nickname for him, but I thought he was the best player on the floor uh, on that ODU yeah. game. And I didn't think it was particularly close. Um, he's a tough kid. He's kind of like Pat Robinson in the, in the same sense that they're a bit undersized, but they're tough. Um, he's way more athletic than he's given credit for. There was one of the preseason publications that said, oh, you know, I don't know if Ryan Larson is athletic enough to run this high-paced Pat Kelsey offense. It's probably they've never seen a Wofford play. You know, they've never seen Ryan Larson play before. Because I knew he was plenty athletic coming in. Um, but he's better than I expected. Um, and what a difference a point guard makes in this offense. Oh, yeah. Well, I actually saw an interesting tweet from a, a Wofford fan, I guess a couple days ago, maybe last week, 
they were like, Ryan Larson got better every single year. And so if you just follow that trajectory, yeah, as a fifth-year senior, he's going to have a good year. And I, and I, Pat Kelsey said it, the coaching staff at Wofford was bummed to see him leave. Like, they wished him the best and like, hey, that's a great opportunity for you to be a starting point guard on a, or what should be a really solid and fun team to play on. But they were bummed that they didn't have him because he's that good of a player. And this, I guess that's something we kind of underestimated. We're like, oh, yeah, well, he's like, it's kind of a role player, kind of floor general for Wofford. But we saw it in the Charleston Classic, and we've seen it as his hot shooting has continued all throughout the year. He's he's he can play. He's like all CAA caliber player. Oh, totally, and he's fearless too. When he puts his head down, um, bodies be damned. He's getting to the rim, and he's you know he'll instigate contact and he'll take contact on the defensive side of the ball too. Yeah. So he had a great game. He had three steals against ODU as well. Charleston shot really well in this game, 10 for 25, 40% from three. They shot 48% from the field for the game, which will get you a win most nights. Just, again, I I said it earlier, just like surgical. You know, they knew what they had to do. They made the adjustments, took care of business. Nobody got hurt. Nobody played outstanding minutes. Just very professional <laughs> approach to that ODU game cleared the benches the uh the walk-ons, walk-ons got, got in yeah yeah they all got their, their a little bit of shine so that's what you want against ODU I'm not sure how good ODU is going to be this year I thought the first half they looked pretty good and like you said they they wilted in the second so I'm not quite sure this is the first time I've seen them play but when you can empty the bench against um a pretty reputable mid-major team um they looked hey, we, good in the we, Charleston Classic yeah yeah Played Virginia I, I Tech tough, played Davidson tough. Yeah, I didn't see them in the um, the classic at all. For some reason, I just kind of missed every time they were on. But, um, yeah, the well-coached team has a you know, repeated history of making tournaments. Um, so to be able to beat them handily, we'll take that, what, six days a week and twice on Sunday. They also uh, are no stranger to TD Arena. I think they've played more games at TD Arena than their home gym at this point. This is the yeah, I saw game. that on the broadcast. That's wild. Yeah, so I, I I still think they are a pretty solid team, and you win by 15, and you probably could have won by 20 if you hadn't put the walk-ons in. And I think ODU hit two late threes to kind of make it a little bit more palatable. They did, yeah. It, was, it wasn't close. That, that final score was a bit deceiving. Yeah, we rolled them. You got anything else from this one? No, I think we pretty much got it covered. All right, well, let's move on to the Citadel game. This was a game, obviously, everybody had circled for a long time. First road win for the Cougars. I know it seems <laughs> that's hard to believe. First road win of the year. Are you listening to that, AP voters? I don't know if that was the last <laughs> thing you were waiting on, but Charleston got a road victory, a true road victory. Sure, the arena was 35 to 45% CFC fans, but a road win is a road win. To me, this is just like a big sigh of relief, right? Citadel's not very good, but you never know what's going to happen in a rivalry game. I said it on the last pod. This is their Super Bowl, right? Conroy had been talking up this game ever since his press conference. You know, there's no fear of losing the Our City uh, slogan. You know, if Citadel had won, I think they would have thrown that in our face uh, every day until next year. So just good to get that out of the way. Get that game wrapped up. 79-57 victory for the Cougs. What'd you see on Saturday? Yeah, I agree. One, it's just nice to have this little crosstown rivalry back. It doesn't cost, and I think it was that the Citadel was asking it to be a pay game for us, so for us to pay them to play, which is Mm. complete nonsense if that was indeed (laughs) the case. 
because uh, it doesn't cost any money travel-wise to go there. We we paid them $2,000 worth of tickets. How about that? Hey, they, good enough, right? Um, but, you know, just logistically, it makes sense. And it's a little bit of big brother beating up on little brother. But occasionally, little brother has a chance. You know, I think, what, we're 40 and 10 or 30 and 10 over the, the and, rivalry. And a lot, a lot of Citadel's wins were during Conroy's last stint as coach. Like, you know, those Kremens years, Citadel was pretty competitive. Oh, yeah, they had a couple of really good squads. I think he had, what, at least one, maybe two 21 seasons in there. Yeah, that's why he got the two-lane job. It's hard to win at Citadel, and he did a really good job there. Yeah, and my worry is playing in McAllister, for any of your listeners that haven't been there, it's almost like an old kind of like airplane hangar where it's just kind of this one long continuous metal arch. So the sight lines are really, really funky in there. And I think that bothered some of our shooters. And that would be the recipe for an upset is we don't shoot well. We're not used to the this kind of new funky gym. And we're just so used to playing it at TD. The Citadel plays the game of their lives and knocks down 10, 15 threes. Mm-hmm. Then we could be in a dogfight. We didn't shoot very well. The starters were two for 24 for three. and we, But we were just up and down uh, the roster, we're just a bigger, more athletic, more talented team. That's what it came down to. You could roll the basketball out there, and we're going to win. Yeah, it was not a perfect game from the Cougars. You brought up the, the three-point shooting numbers, and yet they're up for 38 of the 40 minutes and led by 15 to 20 for most of that game. So that, that goes to show you, A, Conroy's got an uphill battle <laughs> rebuilding Citadel to where it needs to be, but... Yeah, I agree. Charleston was just a more skilled, more physically imposing team. And I know you wanted to to jump to this topic, so let's just go here right now. Speaking of skilled and physically imposing, Ante Berzovic. Ante Berzovic! I love him! Continues to play very well. He, He had 15 points against UNC. He had 15 points against Virginia Tech. He sets a new season high for himself. 16 points and his first double double of the year. And three blocks, so 16 points, 11 rebounds, three blocks in just 22 minutes. Uh, let's have the Ante Berzovic conversation. Let's have the Ante Berzovic conversation. We will turn this from a Raekwon Horton podcast <laughs> into the Ante Berzovic podcast for a couple minutes. No, I love his game. I don't think we've ever, and I, I, I was racking my brain yesterday after watching the game, I don't think we've ever had a guy with his skill set. The, I know because kind of the game has changed in the last 10 or so years, that stretch four, stretch five position to shoot the threes. But he's got a little bit of touch to handle the ball. He can shoot it from three. He can play with his back to the basket, facing the basket. He can rebound. And he's a sneaky good passer, too. He's got great vision. Sometimes it gets him in trouble because he's trying to make a bit too cute of a pass. But he can pull it off. He, he, he sees these cutters and he sees guys – uh, flashing open. You put that all together in a 6'10 package, and, and I'm in love, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> He's so good. He's so good. He's so good. <laughs> I said it in the preseason, you know, I think, and even earlier this year, I think Ante's been somewhat overshadowed by Larson and Robinson and maybe even Jalen Scott and maybe even Dalton Bolin being back and the seniors. He plays like a senior, and he's just a second-year college player. But I had said in the preseason, I was like, this dude put up 18 and 12 per game at D2 as a f- true freshman. I think he's going to be fine in mid-major basketball. And 
He's been more than fine. He's been really, really solid. You mentioned he's so skilled. Like, his back-to-the-basket game is so good, and he can shoot. He reminds me, I just, this is the comparison I'm coming up with. This is maybe a little bit of CAA sacrilege. A little bit of Nathan Knight, at least, offensively. Oh, sure. Sure, I can see it. You know? Nathan Knight was also a defensive player of the year, and Ante's, you know, got some work to do on that end, but he's put the total package together in the Citadel. He was backing guys down. He was using his footwork. He was using his left hand. He was shooting and making threes. Yeah, he's he's super fun to watch. Yeah, he reminds me a bit of, I'll go Nathan, but Vlade Divac passing-wise, you know, kind of that old-school European big, but now playing in the kind of modern positionless basketball um, and I, th- there was something about it watching the Citadel game. He kind of had this extra pep to his step. So I was watching him in the first couple minutes thinking, oh man, like, it seems like he's showing up for this one. Um, and boy, did he ever, and look, his, his best game was against UNC. So the guy can play against anyone. Yeah. It's just yeah. crazy how basketball is. I thought he didn't have a very good game in week one against Chattanooga seemed a little bit lost and you say okay you know moving up stepping up in weight classes a bit that can happen and then he looks like an NBA player against UNC <laughs> it's like I love college basketball man yeah he was he was doing that to a guy who's an all-american in Baycott and he was facing him up drilling jumpers and I feel like Citadel has traditionally had like a pretty talented big man and they don't have that at all right now on this roster and I think that's part of the reason why Berzovich was able to feast like he did but they used to have a guy do you remember uh Mike Grossell yes. Citadel, really skilled big man kind of the same sort of skill set but yeah I'm trying to think of the last Jarrell Brantley is obviously the most talented big man I've seen but he was just more like pure power and energy and Berzovich is just a little bit more like quicker on his feet uh the footwork the ambidextrous nature of his game and obviously the shooting and i think ante is is probably closer to the 610 they list him at as jarell was to the 67 that he was listed at <laughs> right, uh, right. you know uh ante has legit size here um it'll be really fun to watch him develop over the next two years here because he does have the frame and he does have the game with some you know, polishing on the rough edges um, to really be an NBA player. He has that you know, style of game. Berzovich, big fans. Across the, the stat sheet, though, Pat Robinson, another very Pat Robinson game, 12 points, four for eight from the field, got whatever he wanted, got to his left hand every single time. Citadel could do nothing to stop him. I thought the Citadel was getting a little bit of home whistles early on. I think most CFC fans would agree there's a few block charge calls that did not go Charleston's way, and that's really the the only thing that kept Citadel in it in the first half. Also, back-to-back games for Charleston, both ODU and Citadel, uh, where the CFC defense has not allowed a three-pointer in the first half, which, nice little stat. I'm, I'm a big fan of that. But yeah, tough shooting night for everybody else, basically. I did think we had some good games from Raekwon Horton and Ben Burnham. Uh, Horton, seven points, five rebounds, three assists. Jack-of-all-trades game from him. Burnham was a little shaky. I think he had some issues with turnovers and fouls, but he hit two big threes, I think both in the first half that really pushed Charleston's lead. Again, I'm, it's hard to find faults. I mean, Charleston dominated both of these games. Yeah, um, I think I was probably the chief nitpicker on Discord after uh, week one. 
and I'm trying to find something negative and I, I really can't or, or something to really kind of pick at. The only thing I, I will is um, just a bit more. We're, you're looking for a bit more consistency from the sophomore class. You know, with rain shooting wise, this gym is tough to shoot at. But, you know, he's kind of been up and down. When he's hot, he's unbelievable. When he's cold, he's still a bit of a one-trick pony. Fi has – his game has, has certainly developed. Uh, but want to see kind of w- when there's rotations where Benny and Ray are in there and they, you know, are kind of the veteran presence, even though they're sophomores, mm-hmm. they need to kind of be the alpha dog to me. And I think that is kind of the next progression of those guys' games. I don't know if you see it the same way, but that's kind of the only nits that I could pick. Yeah, I think it's tough for those guys with Larson, Bolin, and Scott kind of filling the same sort of roles as Ben and Raekwon, but I'm not too worried about it. I mean, Raekwon Horton started last season so slow, and I feel like he's starting to find his rhythm. He found it from the three-point line in this game, and Ben, I think, yeah, just needs to figure out how to use his uh, his new and improved physique and uh, when to shoot a three, when to back a guy down, so I'm not too concerned with it. I it's not like they're not contributing at all. It's just everybody does a little bit of something and their role is just a little bit reduced. But I think we're definitely going to have games where Raekwon Horton scores 20 or Ben scores 20 and we'll forget they ever struggled early in the season. Oh, totally. I, I'm not worried about either of those or all four of the sophomores games. It's just like we were saying it before we started recording. It's like, uh, is there anything we're worried about talking about? Oh, okay, let's, you know. Throw something out yeah, there. I was like, maybe a little complacency toward the end of the game. Citadel kind of got back into it, but it's like, yeah, I mean, you're up 20. I mean, what do you, what do I expect? Um, you know, Larson playing 31 minutes and Smith playing 26, I think was probably unnecessary in a blowout. I thought we could maybe, Pat Kelsey had the, the walk-ons lined up with like a minute to go, but there was no dead ball opportunity to get them in. Uh, I want to talk to you about the freshmen because we have yet to see the freshmen outside of the walk-ons, uh, Spencer Legg and uh, Timbaland's son. I forget his name, Frankie. But we have not seen Jordan Crawford, and we have not seen Evan Kilminster. We know that Khalil London is medically redshirting. I thought I saw Kilminster and Crawford dressed in this game, and I know people have speculated that maybe they're all three are redshirting, but I thought I saw them dressed and ready to play. But it is strange that we haven't seen them. I thought... You know, either one of these games where you have a 15, 20-point lead, we'd maybe see them on the court, maybe not together, but maybe with a more veteran lineup just to see what they could do. Maybe Kelsey's saving that for North Greenville or, or Presbyterian or some of, the, some of the bottom feeders in the CAA. But um, are you concerned at all about that? Are you asking the same questions I am? Yes. Um, I'm asking more of the same questions. I don't think I'm super concerned. I would think Crawford would be a little bit ahead of Evan, just because you know playing in the United States versus, versus playing overseas, you know there's an adjustment um, coming to college in the United States. But at at a certain point, I don't I don't know about the red shirt rules, but there's going to be a certain point where these guys put pressure on the coaching staff to say, "Hey, I just want a red shirt." You know, if I haven't played in 15 games and you're going to throw me in for three mop-up minutes late in whatever. And if that could blow yeah. them a year of eligibility, uh, I could see them saying, hey, you either play me or redshirt me. Um, and the, the decision might be, okay, we're going to redshirt you to to save you a year of eligibility. 
Um, well, here, here's my, here's the thing about the red shirt. We all know the recruiting class coming in. Yeah. Are we sure there's going to be minutes available next year? Because I don't think there is. Like Isaiah Coleman's a guard. Uh, Meyer Wall's more of a, a wing. And James Scott's a big guy, so that doesn't really affect Kilminster or Crawford. But I don't know. I don't know if redshirting is the move. I mean, I agree, but at some point, maybe these guys are looking at the future and saying, I just want to have an extra year of eligibility. And it, perhaps yeah. it's not here. You know, that's just kind of the nature of college basketball these days. Um, and there's still an open scholarship position, too. If I was a betting man, I'd probably say it goes to another guard, too, just because of the way the style of Pat Kelsey's offense. So, yeah, I, I don't know. It, it's a good question. I don't have a very good answer for you. In PK, I trust. So yeah, me too. If, if they're not ready to go, this nine to ten man unit, depending on where you slot Chuck Lampton in there, is rocking and rolling. Like if you don't want to mess with that, I say don't mess with it. You're on an absolute heater. Uh, what is that? Seven wins in a row? Eight wins in a row? Are we eight and one or nine and one now? We're eight and one. So many wins, I just can't count. Tommy. There's so many, you can't even count them. Counting, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, yes, yeah. So I mean, it's, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But I thought we would maybe, with you know, the margin of victory of both these games, I thought we would maybe see our first first hints of uh, of the freshmen. One thing we didn't talk about was the crowd. We knew that Pat Kelsey and the school were both paying for tickets for CFC to go up there. I thought the turnout was awesome. I think it was a little bit slow going and maybe a little bit of buyer's remorse from the ticketing department early on, but I think they sold most of those tickets or they gave out most of those tickets that they had purchased. And you probably saw the pictures that Joe Wright posted on Twitter of like, it was like 95% full on that side of the, the arena. Yeah. Crowd seemed great for uh, the, the road team um, in the maroon. I don't know if we outnumbered the Citadel fans plus the core of cadets, um, but just watching it on ESPN Plus, it seemed we were pretty close. And I think the CFC fan side was what you could see on camera, like on the broadcast, and it looked looked full. And I saw footage of it. I heard about <laughs> two two CFC fans being thrown out. Uh, so you know, rivalry is still very much alive. But it's it's awesome. It's awesome that you can get that kind of turnout at a road game, even if it is in town. Right, even if it is down the street. But no, that's great. It's great that the university and PK has chipped in for tickets to this and also to the Classic, too. Yeah. Um, it's a real buy-in for the program. And yeah, I said this um, after the Virginia Tech went on the Discord uh, thread, but you know, to me, to my eyes, when you listen to Pat Kelsey and you start seeing it on the court, it's starting to happen. Right. The vision is starting to get there, um, winning the Charleston Classic. The student section is full. The, the crowds are starting to fill out much better than they were in the Earl Grant days. We have a, you know, a, a top flight recruiting class coming in. We're getting looks in the AP top 25. It's like you can see the vision. We're kind of right on track. You know, it, it's it's yeah. happening if, if it keeps this trajectory uh, going. The schedule is definitely easing up. I think people were worried about ODU just being a big physical team that had played well at that point. I think people were worried about Citadel just because of the rivalry aspect. You get over that hump now. You're still looking great. I mean, let's look ahead. Tuesday night at Presbyterian, so a second straight road game. Presbyterian not expected to do anything. They haven't been a great team, but Quentin Farrell, former assistant at CFC, 
knows Kelsey well, knows the College of Charleston well. And don't forget, Presbyterian took Charleston to overtime at TD Arena last year. That was the uh, Famir Ali game, if you remember that name. <laughs> one one I, semester uh, point guard for the Cougs. So Charleston's going to run into a game where an opponent we don't expect plays them really tight, and they're going to be in a dogfight, and it's probably going to happen on the road. Hopefully it doesn't happen in non-conference play, but it's going to happen eventually. And um, do you have any thoughts on, on Presbyterian? No, I mean, Coach Q is a good coach. Um and I expect them to be scrappy, but I don't expect them to be overly talented. Uh, I think probably one through 10, we should be the better team. Play our game, play our system. Uh, I think we win pretty comfortably so long as as we stay focused and locked in and you know the shooting gods don't smite us uh, totally. And then we turn to directional, was it North Greenville? Is it North Greenville yep. next? North Greenville. Uh, so the one the one non D1 team on the schedule during exam week. Yeah, so I expect you know 2 and 0 next or, or that's the exam week um but yeah, I expect 2 and 0 in the next two. And then the yeah. weird one that I have circled is Coastal because it seems to me like if there is a trap game on the schedule coming up next, it is it is Coastal. I don't know why. It's just one of those things where you can get kind of complacent beating teams by 20 points, which I fully expect us to do. You know, there'll be probably four games in a row. Um, and it might be a wake-up call when the Chanticleers come knocking. They played UNCW pretty tough, pretty tight in Myrtle Beach or in Conway. Um, yeah, I, I expect that team to be pretty solid and that game to be good. I don't want to look any further ahead than that, though. <laughs> next next game is Presbyterian. Cougars got to get through that one. I, I love the fact that, I mean, yes, UNC... Starting your road schedule at the number one team in the country is very tough, but, you know, kind of easing into it from there, you get so many games at home, including the Charleston Classic. Citadel, which is like a quasi-road game to like, you know, just get your feet wet. Presbyterian, not expected to be very good. So hopefully, you know, any shock, you know, of not being at TD Arena, of not sleeping in your own bed, that's kind of like, Cougars kind of ease into that, which I like. Totally. Yeah, I mean, the, the Citadel's away game, and these guys took a bus that went three miles, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, Ryan, I don't know. I mean, do you have anything else you want to cover? No, the only thing kind of at the the super uh, macro layer is, look, this team's doing everything they, they needed to to put themselves in a position for an at-large bid. Um, and if I know you don't want to look ahead even past Presbyterian, but if there's somehow a, a we hold serve uh, down the stretch and win the games we're supposed to win, and if a CAA championship comes down to Austin Towson, I mean, there's a good chance the CAA is going to send two teams finally again to the tournament. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I just couldn't be more excited about the, the trajectory of this program and um, the, the non-conference schedule so far, and let's keep it rolling. I mean, I don't want to jinx us, but according to Ken Pomeroy, the Cougars are favored in every single game the rest of the season except for one, and that is at Towson. Wow. Towson has a slight edge. So the data says that Charleston should have a pretty pretty good end-of-season record. We know what can happen in the CAA, though. I, you know, Delaware and William & Mary both had really good home wins over A-10 teams over the weekend. No, no real easy outs. Um, but I agree with you. If both these teams take care of business, they're definitely putting themselves in a 
really good position. I think Charleston has the better wins and the lack of a bad loss. Towson does have one bad loss. The UNC loss is not aging great. They seem to be somewhat of a paper tiger, but uh, I think a a loss at North Carolina in Chapel Hill is pretty tolerable, uh, no matter what their record ends up being. Totally. But yeah, you just gotta take you keep doing what you're doing, and yeah, I think you are putting yourself in a position for a net large. As crazy as that sounds. Hey, love it. First time we've had we've been able to uh, chat about that in a <laughs> yeah. long time. Yeah, yeah. All right, Ryan. I will let you go. I don't know what's going on with the NFL right now. Hopefully our commanders are, are doing okay. But thanks for coming on the pod. Absolutely. Anytime, buddy. Appreciate it.